My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I also used to be employed. And this is Burn Notice, season four, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know the complicated calculations that go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we will explain them again and perhaps introduce some new rules. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, J. Don leads, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter at burnnoticepod. So before we go any further talking about our uh, respective quarantines and all of the trash that we've been dealing with and or watching with our eyeballs, we actually have an exciting giveaway for the listeners of the (laughs) Trash Fire podcast that is Burn, Noticed. So uh, we have to give a huge shout out to our friend Michelle, who has a podcast called From the Source, which is an interview show that examines what tech jobs are really like, the good, the bad, and the boring. Season two is starting soon, and you can follow them on Twitter at from the source pod and what our our friend Michelle from from the source pod has offered our listeners is a DVD collection of burn notice season one so if you are one of the eight people in the world who listens to our podcast and also still has a DVD player and would like burn notice season one for your very own uh, we've got that so sadly uh, this it, DVD is not <laughs> from the source no no this D, uh, well I mean maybe who knows? Maybe Matt Nix owned this season one of Burn Notice, and then Michelle got her hands on it, and now she's giving it to us. Who That's knows? true. The she, world is, she only the talks world to is sources, right? <laughs> yeah. Primary um, so sources. Exactly. So, Chris, would you like to explain how people can get their very own copy of Burn Notice season one on DVD? Yeah, I most surely would. So, if you want <laughs> this copy of Burn Notice season one on DVD, and you don't have it for some reason... Because we don't need it. But, you know, if you want it, just tweet about the show. Tweet about the show and tag us. And specifically, tweet your favorite thing about the show. Our show. Not Burn Notice, the television show. But Burn yes, Notice, the, the podcast. With a D. <laughs> yeah, so so tweet your the favorite D thing stands about for Burn DVD. Notice, the podcast. <laughs> yes, tweet. And also. Like, tweet about Burn Notice, the podcast, and tag us. Yep. After a certain amount of time, which will be announced on Twitter, Uh, We will randomly select a winner out of the people that have tweeted at us. We're going to say the arbitrary end of this contest is November 2nd. November 2nd. All of October to get your little Twitter things twittering and tagging the show. So you have until November 2nd, 2020 to get your tweet in and get your friends to get their tweets in because probably you have friends who don't care about the show, but if they win, they'll give you the copy of Burn Notice on DVD. I'm not going to check. So (laughs) get your friends involved. Get your friends who hate Burn Notice, who love Burn Notice, who have never heard of Burn Notice. Get them all in. Yep. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I thought it was very sweet. We uh, we're in. Well, I don't know if Chris, you're in it, but I'm in a uh, women's podcasting little community called Lady Pod Squad, and they're very cool. And they've answered a lot of helpful questions about you know general podcasting tips and tricks, and have been very supportive of 
the four podcasts that I've started since oh joining God. the Lady Pod Squad. And they all know me as, oh yeah, somebody has a burn notice podcast, huh? And uh, this this wonderful person from, from the source has offered us a cool giveaway because these people are lovely and we are very excited to be a part of their community. Or at least I am. I don't know what Chris's deal is. I sent her the application, but I don't know. If I, she's have, done I have been welcomed into the community. I had just not gone into it yet. Got it. Okay. So so you're like, you're outside the door checking your tweets before going in. That's exactly what I am doing. <laughs> well, in any case, shout out to Lady Pod Squad. Shout out to From the Source Pod, um, which is their Twitter at as well. Thanks for offering us this giveaway. So thanks so much. And can't wait to see your tweets. All right. Uh, welcome to season four, everybody. It has been uh, a, a summer since we have talked to you. And uh, I wanted to start the show, not by talking about burn notice, but just right. checking in with my good friend, Chris. Chris, how how you doing, friend? Well, um, <laughs> I, in a metaphorical and literal sense, the world is on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how is that going? The air quality is not great in Los Angeles right now, which is a fun new thing that I've had to think about as someone who is lucky enough to not have asthma or anything like that. Never in my life have I had to think about air quality. It's been a non-issue. Um, well, it is 2020 still. But it is 2020. Just to, just to put so. this into perspective for all future listeners, uh, the quarantine and pandemic started at early in season three for us is still going. And now the entire West Coast of the United States is on fire. On uh, literal Black fire. Lives Matter protests are still happening, which is good and bad. Good that, you know, the movement hasn't slowed down to the extent that I think a lot of people were hoping for. Cough white people and cops. But bad because uh, they are still necessary. So that's a that's a fun little update for you. Uh, yeah. And then Chris, Chris, you had another change that you indicated in our intro today. You want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I also, due to COVID, lost my job. I say lost my job as if I was like fired or whatever. No, my job ceased to exist. Yep. The entire place of business wherein I did business in a place closed down. It's gone now. It's cornfields now. <laughs> um, yeah. They cratered so it. They cratered it. Yeah. So I am currently looking for work. That's a fun thing that's happening. And, you know, it's fine because like I've gotten jobs before. I haven't gotten jobs before um, in the middle of a pandemic while the world is on fire. And also I'm a trans woman. Sure. These are yeah, all new things. Those are those are a couple of new things that may impact your job hunting journey. Exactly. We're finding out how much. Y'all can get in touch at burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com if you have any leads on uh, remote or LA-based work. Chris is good at, I'm sure, at least a couple of things. So. Yeah. Oh, also, I was in a car accident. Oh, yeah, that also happened. You were that in a car also accident. happened. I'm fine, but I need to buy a car now. I mean, are you? You're still doing this podcast with me, so maybe there were consequences that we didn't intend. <laughs> That's Perhaps true. You have some kind of brain damage that you. That's didn't true. Really I mean, I've never been fine. <laughs> But you, but so far, as far as you can tell, you're not less fine than you were before. 
Right. Yeah. This podcast is the one thing, the one symptom of gender dysphoria that continues. <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh, speaking of this show, what other have you have you been watching anything recently? As as you listeners know, every time that we do a burn notice episode, I have watched at least two seasons of a totally different show that I will bring into the discussion. But I'm curious, Chris, if, if you have been watching anything that may influence your viewership of the excellent television show that is Burn Notice that we review every week. Um. Let's see. For a while, I was watching Babylon Berlin. I need to finish it. That is, About. it is that is a German noir set like in Berlin, like a couple of years before the Nazis are going to take over. Is it like in German? Like it's subtitled. It's in German. It is a German show. It is in German. Oh my god! It's really good, and it's it's very interesting to like to look at like Ber- like Berlin, right on the edge of Nazis taking over. The subtext of the show. I don't know exactly how intentional it is. The subtext of the show is, boy, this looks just like America looks right now. Is this a recent show? Yeah, this came out in the last few years. Okay, interesting. Um, but I like mean, the way that America looks right now is, I would say, at least a statistically significant difference from what it looked like even a year ago. Like, I mean, listen, America true. doesn't hasn't looked great for a while, but I yeah. think that there are like the aesthetic of America has gone down to a degree that I don't think can, is comparable this year versus years before. This is very true. It was fascinating because what there was an episode that I was watching that was like very specifically about police putting down protesters, specifically communist protesters. Um, that doesn't sound like anything I know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what America you're from, but that doesn't sound like my America. Yeah. Yeah. To be clear, um, I'm absolutely not watching a German show with subtitles, but uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Do you want to know what I've been watching? Uh, what have you been watching? The intellectually stimulating television that I've been watching in the meantime. Uh-huh. Uh, so I so I went home to Colorado for three weeks during our little summer break, summer away. Uh, it is that that is the fault of why the, these episodes aren't coming out a little earlier. But um, no apologies. We also got a dog while it was in Colorado, so that was a hundred percent worth it. Uh, worth it. Television. Sh- the television shows that I watched while I was home was we started with Roswell, New Mexico, which is uh-huh. a CW show. It's way better than it has any right to be. It's one of those sorts of shows where it's like, oh, it's going to be like hot people and then aliens because, you know, Roswell. Uh, yeah. And it is hot people and aliens, but it's also like a genuinely good show. And like the character dynamics are interesting. It's way gayer than I expected it to be. That's a lot of ride or die relationships, which I love. Um, yeah, very diverse, like in sexuality and in race and in like experience. You know, there's the, the lead character is the daughter of a undocumented immigrant who owns a, uh, a cafe in Roswell. And so like ice is one of the main villains of the show which I really appreciated. Um, so yes, it's, it's a very interesting show and also Hot People and Aliens, which yeah. are Did kind you... of my <laughs> things that I need. Exactly. Uh, and so then after we finish Roswell, because Roswell, New Mexico only has two seasons so far, season three probably won't come out until 2021, if at all. Um, or not 2021, 2022, which devastating. Um, but then after that, my mom and I watched uh, Winona Earp, 
which is an experience. It takes like six or seven episodes to really start getting interesting and like get me invested. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's got... Winona Earp is a show, Chris, that I hope you watch because I really want to talk to somebody about it. And, like, I know lesbian Twitter is obsessed with it, but also... Lesbians love Winona Earp. Lesbians love Winona Earp. And I don't know why, because, like, the lesbian relationship is, like, barely a thing, really. Maybe this season is going to go further. They keep promising it. But the show is plotted so bizarrely, and they are not great to their characters of color. So I I think you might enjoy it as like a fun sci-fi romp with cute girls. But but I really, that's one that I would want to talk to you about. But I enjoyed it, you know. It's more... It's it's another Western style. I mean, to be thing. fair, lesbians aren't used to be treated well. Well, used that's that's fair. Well. But like, I I wish the show was better. Yeah, no. Like, I'm, it I'm looks gonna like keep a show that's not it. terribly good. Yeah, it's it's a mess. It's kind of a hot mess. And yeah. it's not always a charming hot mess, which is the problem. And then the final no. show, the show that I'm currently watching, uh, is <laughs> The Vampire Diaries. Which has You're watching The Vampire Diaries? Been an experience. Yeah, I am. So uh, the reason is because the the main writer in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, the showrunner who recently left, and that's a whole other thing. But the the showrunner also wrote for a show called The Originals, which I was going to start watching because I like miss Roswell, New Mexico. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed Roswell, New Mexico. Got it. But um, The Originals. And then he realized that I can't watch The Originals yet because I have to watch The Vampire Diaries. Well, I didn't realize they were connected. But yeah, yeah apparently it's like a, it's a it's spinoff. It's a spinoff. Um, so I was like, well, shit. And my mom has seen Vampire Diaries, and she's like, oh, I like it. And I'm like, okay, so it's not a good show. Good to know. Um, yeah. Although I'm midway through season five now, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm watching it so quickly. Like, I do the thing that I do where I just, like, unhinge my jaw and consume television at a rate where I can't actually tell if it's a good show or if it's just diverting enough for me to not notice that it's bad. Uh, but, you know, it's hot people with shiny hair. Doing very dramatic things and kissing sometimes, so yeah, and you like that. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't looking to be intellectually stimulated by this show, but there's some stuff to like. Um, yeah. Although now that I know who the originals are, I'm like not as interested in the spinoff show anymore. But I don't. I'm I'm willing to suspend judgment. You're willing you really to give like it a writer. Yeah, exactly. So, I will yeah. say so those, those are the thing. That's the I'm bringing Vampire Diaries energy into our Burn Notice podcast. Oh Chris. my god! I will say I also <laughs> have been watching with friends of the show, uh, Joe and Tony Heath, the Burn Notice Notice crew. Yep, a show that I have mixed feelings about because it's actually really, really good, but it was made by an awful person. What what show? It was the kind of BBC America, I think. The 2017 Dirk Gently Show. Oh, yeah. I, I know that friends of the show Burn Notice Notice like Dirk Gently, but I found out who the showrunner was before exactly. I got into it. And I was like, oh, okay, so no thanks. No thanks. Right. But, like, we were doing a thing where we were watching shows together, like, where we would have, like, a double fe- a TV double feature where I would introduce them to a show that I liked and they would introduce me to a show that they liked. My show that I was introducing to them was The Magicians because I wanted an excuse to watch The Magicians again. And, like, they needed to give me a show. And the thing is that they didn't know who created it before they watched it. Mm-hmm. And for Tony in particular... He has a very strong connection to it. Like, it is one of Tony's favorite television shows. 
and like and it's that thing where if you already have like a connection to it before you find out the person is garbage it feels different yeah no it's that like that's how i feel about a lot of things that i like luckily got like didn't get to before i realized it yeah i was like all right well then i guess it's actually i just don't need to watch it anymore and i don't have exactly feelings yeah no totally um but they made me watch it and now i have complicated feelings because it's actually really good and i don't know what to do with that all right we should probably start the show now we have i was gonna say it is 20 minutes of recording and we have barely mentioned burn yeah, burning but it's the beginning or noticing of the season. we it's... we've talked more about burning as a separate concept than in the context <laughs> of burn notice i know well and let's change that because today we're talking about the season four premiere it is called friends and enemies which i swear is about as close to a burn notice title that we've seen before as it possibly could be this episode aired june 3rd 2010 uh so i had just graduated from college and i might have been in france i was either Mm -hmm. in france or in um, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. Those were the two places I went. Those are the two places uh, yeah. that you went. Those are the two places. That you I graduated went. college? Uh, no, high school. I'm at okay, school. cool. I think you I said, said college. college. I'm at high school. No, yeah. I'm I'm a young I'm a young. I was I was very confused because I also graduated college in 2010. I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, no, no. no I mean, no. I did you're it a old, semester. You're an early. old lady. I am a young ingenue. Exactly. Um, But as you might imagine, this season premiere was written by Big Daddy Nicks himself and was directed by that handsome bastard himself, Tim Matheson. I can't decide if I liked the directing in this episode or not. There's one shot that like, or or one sequence, I guess, where I was like, do I like this because it's a choice or do I hate it because it's a choice? What was this? We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. I do not remember anything about the directing of this episode. I only paid attention because it was Tim Matheson. Um, right. If it's like a non-issue, it, like the only people's directing that I pay attention to in Burn Notice are uh, Tim Matheson. Anytime it's a female director, which is pretty much just Denny Gordon. Denny Gordon. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. It. Like end Directed of next week. Oh, interesting. I didn't notice that. Damn it. See, I'm bad at this. Whatever. So the IMDb description of this episode of Burn Notice reads, While Michael contemplates working with a man who is trying to uncover the identity of the arms dealers who were responsible for Simon's escape, the old gang helps a lawyer who has been green-lighted for death by a biker gang. Yep, that's what it is. Sure is. Let's get into the weeds. I watched it. I also watched it like four hours ago. So um, the only thing I want to talk about in like the previously on Bird Notice and everything is that Fiona is still referred to as his ex-girlfriend in the opening credits. So interesting that they still haven't DTR'd, but I assure, I, I assume that that's what's coming in this season. I feel like by the end of season four, they are pretty much a couple. So I'm I'm paying close. I'm actually watching the intro every single episode to see if anything changes. Also, I'm curious at what point Jesse gets added. Yeah, that he's will not, be interesting. He's not in the first two episodes. Spoiler alert. Right. I suspect Jesse won't be added until the next season. I don't know if he he's be he's a he's gonna be a principal character this season. So yeah. I think at a certain point. I think. It was entirely possible that the writers thought that Jesse was going to be a one-season character. Interesting. 
Well, I guess like, we'll, 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 we'll puzzle that out as we go. Uh, I don't know that for a fact, but like, it's entirely if possible only, that they thought that and then just If only we had burned like, every yeah, bridge yeah. about this <laughs> with every contact of this show. Oh, the right. costume designer has never written me back, so sadly, sadly so we sad. may not get to interview him. Anyways, right. let's start the episode. So we pick up where we left off last season with Michael in like that fancy office that he's confused by, uh, and he determines that it's too fancy to be a government office. A guy named Vaughn comes in, and he's real pushy about tangerines, and he compliments Michael for rescuing Fraser's dad, despite the fact that Fraser's dad and his company burned Michael. Then he sends Michael to a solitary confinement jail cell with a bunch of files, and is like, read these. And also have a tangerine. Bye. So right. that happens. Then, okay. Um, <laughs> Can I say it really quickly? Sure. I have gotten in trouble in the past for talking about The Wire too much on this podcast. <laughs> what is... I don't even know what The Wire is. That's like not a television show. <laughs> but I have to mention that Vaughn is played by Bunny Colvin from The Wire. Mm. Uh, he was also on Prison Break. Ooh, okay. Well, now I'm interested. Prison Break exactly. was a TV show, and it's exactly. an excellent one. I thought you were going to be like, I don't know how big a role he was on Prison Break because I have never watched Prison Break and I never. Will. I've only watched it once, so I don't remember. But I, I appreciate it as a as a detail that I now know in my life. Exactly. It makes me a little bit softer towards Vaughn. I think Robert Wisdom, the actor who plays Vaughn and Bunny Colvin on The Wire, is a very trustworthy person. Like, and I think, especially, like, on The Wire, like, he plays, like, one of the most genuinely good people on The Wire. Interesting. And that's the role that I feel like that and apparently the prison break role are the things that he's kind of known for. Like, that character is his calling card. And I do think that casting him is a choice. Interesting. Because... I guess we'll see. One of the things that they're trying to do this season at least in this episode, is, like, maybe imply that management in its own sort of way are good guys? Yeah, that's that's definitely something that comes out in my notes a lot. Like, this is the season where it's going to be like, hey, Michael, everything that you thought you knew, you don't. Because exactly. You know, have to keep the intrigue up. So uh, let's let's keep moving with this because we'll see Vaughn again. We can we can chat about Vaughn a little bit more as we yeah. get to know him. But like the idea but... of like this person needs to be someone who does not feel quite as antagonistic as some of his other friends. Sure. Although, like whether Although that makes me is. trust him more or less, uh, I am on the fence about. All right. Anyways. So the files that Michael is tasked to go through basically show off like a war for profit scheme. There is a bunch of anonymous bank accounts attached to a number of violent things happening in the world. Uh, and they, they need to, they don't know who the bank accounts are attached to, but management does not like this war for profit scheme and wants to end it. And of course, drum roll, they need Michael's help to do it. Why, given that Michael has, like, never been helpful to them since they burned him three years ago is up for debate. But, you know, he's our protagonist, so I guess he's the special little boy. Um, He is also the best spy that has ever spied ever. Is he? I mean, according to the rules of this show. 
I guess. Even within the show, though, Michael's like, he's fine, guys, but I cannot imagine he's the only Here's my question, though. How much worse are every other spy? Because, like, in this scene, at the end of this scene, Vaughn asks for help or whatever, and Michael gives him the most obvious suggestion ever? Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) He literally read the file and was like, here is someone in the file. Have you looked into this person? Like, did you not read the file, Bunny Colvin from The Wire? I'm sure he didn't. That's the analyst job. I mean, to be fair to Michael Weston, um, the the spy tip that plays over this section is about, like, reading intelligence files is kind of an acquired skill where it's mostly just completely random information. But if you stick with it and you've done enough work of this kind, you start to pick up patterns that otherwise wouldn't be evident. So like they're, they're, they're trying to put like put a veil over our eyes about how bad Matt Nix is at writing clues. Matt Nix, I'm sure is a wonderful person, but his like spy plots are often very like heavy handed and not all that intricate. They're just complicated. Um, And so like whenever he needs Michael to be the special one, it's often very heavy handed and complicated without actually being intricate. So I'm going to give him a pass because he did try to cover this up a little bit by saying, no, reading intelligence files is complicated. It's a bunch of just, I'm sure there's a lot of names in there. Um, And Michael was the one that was like, no, based on patterns and work that I've done before, I think this is the name we should go after. Yeah, exactly. And, but that's sort of the point though. So that's why they need Michael because Michael can read files and do all these things. (laughs) Because they don't have anyone they don't actually want Michael to do, like, spy stuff. They just want him to, like, be a desk jockey. They're like, Michael, you're, like, good in the field, I guess. But we really just need you to sit at this desk and read some files for us. Is that okay? Right. But, yeah. So, like like Chris uh, mentioned, management thinks they're the good guys. um, But they just made some bad hiring decisions previously, which is a reach, given that, like, all of them are psychotic and i think even vaughn mentions like yeah some of them turned out to be like raging psychopaths and i'm curious if this means that we are gonna finally now that we know that like their main mission at least right now is getting rid of this war for profit scheme i wonder if that means that eventually we're gonna find out what the fuck carla was doing in season two because like her whole thing was she was trying to assassinate somebody in a, the most complicated way possible. And then it didn't The most out. complicated way. And whoever it was got away, I guess, because they didn't end up killing anyone. Uh, they killed her. So I'm curious if the attempted assassination from season two is going to come back because it was just dropped. We haven't heard about it for years. We haven't even heard about Carla for years at this point. And I'm very curious if the actual macro story of Burn Notice will ever come together. I don't know if it ever will. I mean, again, I never finished the show. This was one of my frustrations with the show the first time that I watched it. And it has this really bad X-Files problem of every season. Well, I would also say Doctor Who Moffat seasons were the same way, where things just kept getting dropped and, like, expanded and... We can have a conversation about that. Um, (laughs) I know, that's why I brought it up. When they finished Matt Smith. In his very last episode, they did sit down for a second and go, like, here's how it was all connected. So they might do that for a burn notice, too. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, I remember watching the show and, like, feeling like every season, like, there has to be a bigger layer of conspiracy. 
Uh, this is also the supernatural problem a little bit. Yeah. There has to be always someone bigger. Yeah, they like, have to raise the stakes. Well, that's the hard part about doing procedurals. But that's the thing about like shows like this in particular, like this or X-Files, where part of the um, driver is conspiracy. That means there always must be a bigger conspiracy, which means that like the person who is the head of the conspiracy like keeps moving. And it's sort of interesting, like looking at this show, it seemed like someone was working like um what was the, the fancy British man? Gilroy. Gilroy, right? It turned out Gilroy the whole time was working for Simon, maybe? Yeah. But and we then refer to our it Twitter. turns out <laughs> we have a graph. It turns out now that Simon was working for someone, maybe? Yeah. And yeah, so, it's, it's, yeah, we're going to have to make a new chart. <laughs> I think we're just going to add to it because I think the point is that they've built this thing that then they keep adding new spokes to, but haven't resolved the original things. And it just keeps like, you know, fracturing out into infinity, which is not yeah. a satisfying way to tell a story. No, it's not. So the thing that I think the best procedurals do is like they'll ramp up the conspiracy for like two or three seasons. But if they intend to continue beyond that and they didn't have like an original sort of master plan that was all going to come together at the end, like spider webs that like they had genuinely planned and planted, they, they end that conspiracy and then go on to a new one that's completely unrelated because then it gives them like the starting point and it doesn't have to be as high stakes as immediately because the problem with just layering conspiracies is that it always has to be bigger than the last one but the first one for the first season in order to pitch the show had to be pretty big so at a certain point it's like diminishing returns so you have to start over and that's fine as long as we love the characters and we do in most procedurals that's why people stick with procedurals it's not because I love watching bodies get cut open you know on a CSI type thing it's because we like the sassy lab techs or whatever I don't actually like CSI but that's a that's a good example of a very long running procedural but like the best procedural understand that there is a limit to how far the original like grain of conspiracy can go and eventually you gotta end it and move on and I think Bones does a good job with this Bones does a good job of kind of like every couple of seasons getting its shit together Psych as well Psych obviously was not as like intricate or whatever because the conspiracies often weren't very big, but like that's I think the strength of having like a handful of like serial killers as like the plot lines for, you know, detective shows. Because serial killers, you really don't need them in every episode, but as long as they make appearances like once or twice a season, like they're, you know, they cast this shadow over everything and they can keep escalating, but they don't require a lot of additional complications. Well, yeah, but again, that sort of, that becomes the thing, a sort of consequence of the show, the kind of show that you're doing. Bones can get away with doing something like that because, like, Bones and Bones' friend Bones are all cops. Um, right, but and I the same don't, I don't thing with NCIS, it... like, they're all cops. Like, Right, um, but I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to be you know all gamefully employed in order for it to happen like if burn notice had in season three michael had like gotten to the precipice of getting back into the cia and then realized like what he thought his job was wasn't what it was or wasn't 
actually what was keeping him going every day and he like made the choice to walk away and then like season four was the beginning of hey I need to figure out what I want to do with my life now because my original goal I am no longer interested in like that would have absolutely worked there are ways oh, it definitely to end work. the conspiracy yeah. and still have an interesting show that has all the parts that we like and can still involve his former spy life but like yeah I, I think Something needs, I hope something gets concluded in season four because I can't keep doing this with Simon and Gilroy and Carla. I don't remember what happens with the show. Yeah, I know. At this point, I I don't remember this episode at all. I don't remember this season at all. I remember Jesse as a concept and allegedly I have watched through season six or seven, but I think I had only ever seen it once and it was a full decade of my life ago. Exactly. I've watched three different television shows in between the last like, season of us recording this podcast uh you will know i watch a lot of tv and so i certainly don't remember the specificities of a show i watched once 10 years ago same anyways let's move forward because uh, a decent amount happens in this episode and oh i haven't mentioned this yet on podcast but i actually like this episode this is one of the better season openers and i thought that they did a good job i was actually surprised because i i scrolled down when i was getting like the imdb details for this and the first review on imdb was a one-star review that was like the beginning of the end and i was like chris from season three but the person was like their main critique was the this show Joe's downfall is going to be Matt Matt Nix's obsession with structuring every episode with a client of the week, even when the show itself doesn't need a client of the week. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, so you found my review. Chris. Exactly. And so I was like, shit, it's going to be one of those things. But I actually liked the way the client of the week fit into this episode. I thought that this was a good sort of subversion. Maybe not subversion. Maybe we don't give him that much credit. But I, I liked the way that this episode went down. I thought... Because, like, the whole season is going to be out that this fucking conspiracy with Bond, I like that they didn't really spend a lot of time on it. Like, after the sort of setup, we spend most of the episode back in Miami, like, with things going regular. And I thought that was a much better way of sort of waiting it, because I certainly don't give a shit if Michael and Vaughn go on an adventure in the wilderness together. So, yeah. whatever. Anyway, I will so say, speaking of yeah. the adventure of the wilderness. Because <laughs> um, the thing that we will see when we get there that they're doing is having Michael come back to a case that's already in progress is a good idea. Yeah. Like that's a fun, we haven't see, seen and that before. Rest. And that's only the sort of thing that you can do on a season premiere, really. Totally. So that was smart. Anyway, but let's yeah, keep going. No, I, I agree. So yeah. So speaking of the adventure in the wilderness, um, the person that Michael found in the files that they need to go co- like follow up on, um, they track him like with a satellite phone or something, I guess, is a guy named Gregory. doesn't really matter what his name is because he's about to die, but he's a gun runner who's allegedly connected to a lot of the violence. And so one of the anonymous bank accounts the that's been profiting from all account. this war is being um, is paying this particular gun runner. But before they get literally anything useful out of him, he gets straight up drone striked. And, yeah, um, a drone strike happens in this episode. <laughs> That's where we are now. It's 2010. <laughs> yeah, it's 2010. Obama's been in the presidency for two years, and things are going great. Um, oh, my God. Can I ask the... a question <laughs> sure. about this drone strike? Sure. That I think is very important going for the show going forward, because I noticed this in the episode after this, too. 
Of course. Did Burn Notice get a new CGI budget? <laughs> I don't know. Because, like, this is a CGI drone. Oh, really? I was taking like, notes for most of it. As soon as I saw the drone coming, I was like, okay, as long as this guy doesn't No, there's this, like, useful, really close-up shot of the drone, like, shooting drone bullets that, like... I think in I don't think what it was was a new budget. I think what it is is they like to go all out on their premieres and finales because it's like an action show. Because like there's a a whole motorcycle car chase sequence at the end of this episode that's pretty intricate that is rare in mid season episodes. So True. I think that they're just putting on a spectacle. You know, to I will get say everyone excited. I kind of thought that too, but I'm pretty sure there's an exp- an explosion in next week's episode that is also CGI. Well, I guess we'll we'll keep an eye on it, and then. So that's a thing that I am tracking now. Back. <laughs> okay, you mean tracking like a drone tracks things? Yeah, or tracking like you have to do tracking when you're doing a CGI. Of course, um, the 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 funny spy tip that happens over this sequence is the or the only way to get out of the way of a drone strike is to get out of the way of the active target area, and it's like, hey, Michael, no shit. What else was I going to do? Stand there and look at it real hard and shake my finger at it and say, I want to speak to your drone manager? Like, of course I'm going to run away from the active bomb spot. What? I mean, maybe the implication is that drones aren't going to chase you. Like other know. bombs? What? Or bullets? What? Well, like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just thought it was very funny because he, he says it, you know, in the same tone of voice as he says all the spy tips. But there were a lot of spy tips this week that were like, no shit, Sherlock. Um, yeah. And there were a fuck ton. And uh, I think Matt, Matt Nix just went a little It's a Maddie Nix episode. It's a Maddie Nix episode. Um, usually they're better than this, though. Usually his spy tips are actually genuinely interesting because I think he's obsessed with Michael Wilson. Whatever. Um, at the end of this drone jungle adventure, Michael agrees to help Fawn on his terms and then is transported back to Miami and goes to see Madeline. Um, if you'll remember at the end of last season, Madeline had a little run in with some cops who spent like eight hours telling her how terrible Michael is, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and she's a little bit shaken and Michael is also a little bit shaken and he apologizes and she's like, we can talk about it later. Go find Fee. So then Michael goes to find When Fee. I say also, I think it's interesting, an interesting marker of how this relationship has developed that he goes to Madeline first. That's true. And I think it also shows how this relationship is developed because instead of being like, no, you stay here and talk to me, even though Michael clearly does want to talk to her and like make things right, Madeline's like, you should go see your friends. Like, you should go see the woman you love. I don't actually need an explanation right now. Like, the fact that Madeline is patient and trusts him that he'll come back to explain what happened and that Michael still wanted to come to her first. I, there's there's a lot going on, and I really like it. I, every scene that Michael and Madeline are in together, these first two episodes, I think are really strong. Yeah. I, I mean, they, these two performers in particular, like, they have the most dramatic scenes between them, and I think that they've really grown as, like, a, a pair of performers. You know, their, their chemistry, I think, is finally hitting its really true stride. And they've always been really great together, but I think they've, they're, like, they've really settled into their kind of chemistry, and I think it works. Yeah. It gives an emotional core to this show that <laughs> this show, frankly, doesn't deserve. 
So anyway, so this is the shot that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. So Michael walks in to Fiona's apartment and she's like at her kitchen counter putting together a bunch of guns because it's Fiona. So he like opens the door. She looks up. There is a pan in, like a, like a quick pan in on Fiona going, Michael? And then it cuts to Michael and it's a quick pan in on Michael. So it's like two like zooms, almost like found footage zooms, like in the office. And Michael goes, Fiona? And then it's over and Fiona's like, uh, come on, we grab some guns. We got to go. <laughs> we have a job. But it's are like pans so dramatic. Are they... They're not, not pans, push-ins. So like really like, slow. Okay, push- cool. Or not slow, but like really fast push-ins. Like somebody's on Parks and Rec doing a Zoom. And, you know, got like it. Zoom in on Fiona. Michael? Zoom in on Michael. Fiona? It's just, Could you it tell if they so were bizarre. Zooms or dollies? So it's hard to say because the camera was a little shaky. So I think it might have been in editing. Like I think it was a handheld camera and I think they might have added it in editing. Yeah. Um, but the so the reason that I hate it is because it's so overdramatic. The reason that I might love it is because it's this like opening to like something kind of melodramatic. But then Fiona immediately is like, we can talk later. Here, grab a gun. And then like runs out. I mean, yeah, that <laughs> is the of, joke like, of the shattered. scene. Exactly. And it's the it's the joke of the scene. And like in paired with the very melodramatic push-ins, I'm like, I think it's a choice. And I don't know if it's corny in a good way or corny in a bad way, but it was certainly a choice. So um, it stood out to me is all I'm saying. And basically, uh, Michael has walked in and media res to a job in progress because while he was gone, they still kept taking clients. So uh, the gist, as we've learned from the IMDb description, is that there's a lawyer named Winston who has been marked for death by a very large biker gang, not just in Miami, but like countrywide this this biker gang has chapters and um we don't know why yet but we do though that michael sort of like grabs one gun from the table and like wanders into the car and is like extremely confused and as soon as he gets in the car and sam drives off and sam's like hey what's up and then immediately starts yelling at fee and fee is yelling at sam and you know it's classic sam and fee where they both want to do the same job but have very different ideas of what's going to be a good strategy and of course this is what they're missing is someone to corral the children. And that's where Michael Weston comes in. It's really good. Big, and cute. It's, it's very cute. And it's, I also love that the first line that Michael says, once he kind of gets his bearings is I have a loaded machine pistol in my hand and I have no idea what I'm doing, which I feel like is how I would react in that situation. And I felt a kinship with our boy, Michael. <sighs> yeah. Um, honestly, the thing. It was I a think very, you feel a quite delivery. a kinship with our boy, Michael. <laughs> I think you aspire to be very competent and boring. How dare you? I would never want to be boring. I want to be competent and chaotic. I want to be Fiona. You want to be Fiona. But I am, Michael. It's true. I want to be chaotic good, but what I really am is neutral good. Yeah, so am I deep sigh anyways so i just appreciate because michael weston very rarely is like what's happening to me but at this point he was like i'm very confused please explain to me what the plot is so the uh the current situation the reason that they have all these machine guns in the car is because they have to go rescue winston the lawyer because he is trapped in his house by some bikers 
who are threatening to kill him. We still don't know exactly what why the bikers are mad at this random lawyer, but they do know that they need to go rescue him before things get even further out of hand. And um, they, it becomes abundantly clear that what they really need to get out of this situation is Michael Weston's special sauce. So Michael Weston and his special sauce go into this volatile situation where three bikers are setting, uh, I guess, this guy's life savings in cash on fire on his front lawn and like yelling at him and like throwing fire at the house. And the lawyer's like, please leave me alone. I'm so confused about the plot too. And Michael, the lawyer, by the way, was not on the wire, but he was on Mad Men. Whatever. He's very sad and confused. And these bikers are very mad at him for some reason. Michael, Michael Weston's secret sauce is he holds two machine gun pistols in the air, shoots. I took a screenshot. It will be the screenshot for this episode and basically lies to them until they leave. Um, and then they leave and Michael gets the lawyer and we learn a little bit more about the lawyer. Oh wait, maybe not yet. No, we don't learn anything about the lawyer. The lawyer gets in the car and they go back to the loft. Michael pouts while they get to the loft and Fiona punches him because she's like, what the fuck are you pouting about? And he's like, you took a job without me. You didn't care that I was gone. And she's like, fuck you. We looked for you, but also a bunch of government guys had you. We figured you were either dead or would come back eventually. And so we took a job because that's what you would do. So we took a job. This is the job that we took. Stop whining. And Michael's like, yeah, that's fair. So they go upstairs and um, we learn actually the full story about Winston, the lawyer. And uh, the full story is that Winston helped some woman escape her abusive boyfriend, who is the biker gang guy who was lighting the guy's house on fire. And uh, they're mad at him. So all of the gang wants to kill him. And not just all of the gang in Miami, but the way that these sorts of biker gang criminal organizations work is that once you're marked for death, or as they keep calling it, greenlit for death in one chapter, no matter where you go, if the biker gang knows what you look like, you are marked for death wherever. So eventually someone's going to find you. So you can't just run away. It's not that simple. The title of my Hollywood noir is Greenlit for Death. <laughs> also, at like, some point in this part of the show was when I took a note that just said, uh, oh, the music of Burn Notice, how I didn't miss you. I, don't know. I really so hate the music stuff. of Burn Notice. I don't care. I love I don't I I don't ever notice unless it's very overt and then I love it because it's so bad. Um it's like the opposite of Scrubs <laughs> in terms of how it uses music and I love that for him. So anyways, uh this seems like a very big overreaction from like the the ex-boyfriend who is like you helped my girlfriend get away from me. I'm going to get me and 1000 of my closest brothers and we are going to kill you. And if you leave the city, we will kill you in a different city. And it's like, maybe your gang needs to, like, calm down a little bit and sort out your priorities. This does not it's seem It's about honor, Bree. Is it? It's about honor. Okay. Well, yeah, that that's a big sort of theme of this episode. Yeah. Uh, is honor and, like, getting people to do honorable things, um, Mm -hmm. which is a fun setup for the very end of the episode. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So Michael decides that um, now that he's back in charge, the best thing that they can do is go to the top. And at the top is Big Ed, the boss of the at least Florida chapter of this, um, this biker gang. The biker gang has a name that I didn't write down because I don't care. It's so, They're the Breakers. <laughs> of course Which they I are. think is kind of a horrible biker gang name. Do they also break dance? 
We never see <laughs> them break so. dance, but we don't well, know that they don't break dance. <laughs> so what we're really saying is this episode should have been West Side Story, Burn Notice Edition. Uh, although, again, I like this season premiere, and I like that, like, Despite that it's a little bit convoluted, the case of the week is fairly straightforward. They need to get this biker gang to stop trying to kill this one man. And like, you don't really need a lot more information. It's like biker gang, bad. There's a lot of them. Lawyer, we should save his life. And like, that's kind of it. There's not a lot of like layers to that because it allows us to get into the middle of it without having a ton of exposition, which I appreciated. So um, in order to get some more info, Fiona infiltrates the biker gang, which is a gross little bar with a line of bras hung across the ceiling as if they were drying their laundry. It was just a quick shot, but it was... Like, that's a lot of bras. That was a production design choice. And then they no, never No, I think the implication is that, like, these bras were, like, one or something. I, it, it, it's, it's a very strange choice. And they're not even cute bras. It's, like, a lot of, like, tan-colored, no. like, regular day-to-day bras. Yeah, no, they're just regular bras. Like, yeah, I don't know exactly. I think the implication is that, like... They All of like these bras are like track of their conquests on a chalkboard. I think so. I th- is that the implication? I think I it no might idea. be the implication. It's such an ugly form, of, like uh, an it's, ugly string of bras, though. Like it's, it's just true. Well, it's, it was such a bizarre shot because it's the only I'm one of its kind. Nobody going refers to, to it. Judge <laughs> the type of women who sleep with bikers. No. But no, what I'm saying is, like, just from a production design aspect, like, they couldn't even choose, like, cute bras. Like, their conquests weren't even get to get the nicest bras that those girls own. Because every girl owns They have to buy bras en masse. Bras are expensive. <laughs> yeah, maybe they got, like, a Hanes pack, and that's what they... They 100% out. got a Hanes pack. A lot of them look very similar. They, well, that's my thing. Is it's like it's the most boring string of bras I've ever seen, and the fact exactly. that they never come they up. They all look the like they came from the like... same pack. <laughs> they're the, they're all the colors of like a colorful package of neon straws, but like There's pastel. Not a skin so they're tone like ones, are like flesh tone ones. I feel like I definitely saw a green one. I wasn't. I just the fact that not all of them were more interesting colors than just a bunch of like general beiges was just. It was such a strange detail that, that, that never comes up. Like Fiona doesn't even like you know take one down and choke a guy out with it. You know, nope, I was hoping just there. for something to be done with Cause these because these, these bikers are gross. I keep wanting to call them Vikings because in Hollywood, the only difference between a biker and a Viking is costume. It's true. It's very true. Um, anyways, so, uh, Big Ed is there and he's mad that they haven't killed the lawyer yet. And then Fee heads upstairs where I guess there's an office above the bar and a guy that she met on her way in completely loses track of her. Like he, he like turns around to get them a drink and then turns back around and she's gone. And his first impulse is not to look around the rest of the bar and like, cause there's a lot of people here, you know, and a lot of bras, but immediately it's like, I should head upstairs. <laughs> so he does that and catches her breaking into the office with a like lock pick, but he still manages to get bamboozled by her saying, Oh no, I was just trying to find a place where we can be alone together. And he's like, Oh really? And then she fucking tasers his ass. But the fact that this man like sees this mysterious woman who immediately makes a beeline for his boss's office is caught red-handed picklocking the thing but then still decides i'm gonna wait to hear her out because maybe she does want to just have sex with me in my boss's office like peak 
Like because Fiona is the only woman. That you have to understand that men are dumb. Oh, I appreciate that as an overriding theme to this. I men are dumb, and they will do anything if you if they think you'll have sex with them, and also if they collect bras and hang them. They do. They also have a Confederate flag in the office, just in case you thought that these bikers were mean, but also not racist. Uh, Don't worry. They're also racist. They're also racist. Let's be very clear. Uh, Fee then knocks him out with a taser, uses a portable scanner to scan, from what I saw, two pages of a random ledger, and then escapes. She doesn't even take the full ledger. Like, they knew that she broke in. She didn't just, why couldn't she have just taken the ledger? It's unclear. But um, everyone regroups at the loft again. Michael eats a When did she get yogurt. the scanner? I feel like we've never seen the scanner before. I'm going to try to see if we ever see the scanner again. Because it's one of those <laughs> spy tips where, like, Michael's, like, you know, taking a picture of documents, like, isn't a good idea. It rarely works. You need a scanner. Like, and I know that three weeks from now, someone's just going to take pictures of documents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was a fully unnecessary spy tip, but... It happened. So yeah, so Michael is at the loft with everyone eating a comfort yogurt and they explain their new plan to Winston. And the new plan, which I think I skipped over because there was like a very short Barry scene earlier. Uh, and the, the the plan is Barry, once he gets the details from the ledger uh, and from like the biker gang's accounts, he's going to connect Winston to all of the biker gang's accounts so that if they kill Winston, then it opens up an investigation to the rest of the gang because like... He'll be obviously murdered, and as they investigate the murder, they will uncover, like, his accounts and all of that stuff, and if his accounts are linked to the biker gangs, they will, like, essentially take themselves down, you know, mutually assured destruction and all that. So that's the plan. They met with Barry earlier, but it was not a remarkable scene, so I don't care to go back over it. Um, No, you didn't even have to mention it. (laughs) Well, but Barry does come back. I don't want Barry to just come out of nowhere, you know, like he always does in every Burn Notice episode, but whatever. Uh, And while they're doing this little download for Winston, who, you know, is being a client and freaking out, uh, Vaughn calls Michael with a new lead on their war for profit issue. Somebody in counterintelligence was investigating the guy that got bombed by a drone. So Michael has to go find out what they already know to start picking up new leads. I suspect this is going to be Jesse. And um, I'm right because this is not a complicated show. We're correct. I'm not even going to be that impressed with myself for calling it because, of course, that's who Jesse is. But I actually, I will say, I did forget the way that Jesse enters the show. I I forgot it, too. I think we both assumed that Jesse came into it because he was investigating them. The way that it actually goes is way better. I actually it's really so much enjoy. better. Can I say yeah, I really, like really we'll talk it. about this more next week and yes, for sure. Can I make a bold statement? Ooh, I'm excited for your bold statement. This is the um, first good plotting idea that Matt Nix has ever had. Right, it's so good. I was so impressed. Um, anyways, so speaking of bold statements, Michael, Winston, and Sam break into a house owned by Big Ed. Um, it's owned for his girlfriend, but Big Ed also spends some time there. They are dating. And, um, Michael and Sam break the doors down from either side, but Big Ed doesn't date softies, so the girlfriend immediately tries to wrestle Sam's shotgun away from him. Real big fee energy, which I enjoy. Uh, and the two boys manage to get the couple, you know, knocked unconscious, but, like, barely. There's a bunch of back and forth of like Sam trying not to hit this woman as she like goes fully feral on him. And then like Michael has to 
do with Big Ed, and Big Ed is not a misnomer. He is a big dude. And there's yeah. a really funny screenshot that I don't think is going to turn out very well, but it's like Sam is being fully straddled and like attacked by a woman in the background. And in the foreground, Michael is like climbing onto Big Ed, and it's just so chaotic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like- going so badly for them. It's very funny. What I like about this scene is that, like, it at no point tries to make this fight look cool. This no, is not a cool fight. it's just a scrap. This, exactly. It is. And I like that. I thought it was fun. Because, again, this, this episode fun. is not, like, it could have been so overly complicated because we've just introduced a whole new layer to this whole fucking conspiracy. But it actually manages to stay on task. And I appreciate that because I just want clarity so I know what the season's going to be about and I know that the energy that we're going into it with and I feel like I got that you know I had fun I didn't have like there's no plot holes yet because there's not enough plot to bog down and miss things and I think that that's the best kind of like a procedural episode is it's like give us enough so that it's fun and specific but not so much that we start to ask too many questions I don't have any questions about this biker gang thing not really like everyone's acting like fools but like they're a biker gang they've got a little too much machismo so I bought it like I there was no point where I was like this doesn't make sense it was like well that's a little extra but you know, bad guy's gonna bad guy, whatever. Yeah, so, honor. <laughs> honor, exactly. So speaking of honor, now that Big Ed has been subdued, he is then paperworked into submission. So Barry's plan is working. The, like, you know, mutually assured destruction through paperwork and bank records. And Big Ed is like, fine, I'll call the green light off. You're all good. Unfortunately, Hunter, the biker gang baddie who was set up by Winston, or not even set up by Winston, but, like, cuckolded by Winston, I guess, um, is called yeah. for, like, a parlay. <laughs> and he's like, fuck you, uh, and then shoots Big Ed. Then the Burn Notice gang has to go rescue Big Ed, and it kicks off a very uh, elaborate first shootout at the, like, house, at the Big Ed's house, and then it spawns a pretty long, like, motorcycle car chase sequence. And it's very fun because once they realize that they don't have the ammo to, like, fight back against these three motorcycles, like, tailing them in the car, shooting at them, Michael's like, we got to get the rest of the bikers involved because Big Ed's like, listen, Hunter's crazy, but those are his only guys. Everyone else is with me. I guarantee it. So they send Fee in to back to the biker bar. She, like, knocks a dude out with his own helmet, steals a motorcycle, and is like, follow me, and basically, like, gets an army to follow her to go meet the boys so that they can have a little bit of a showdown but with better numbers on their side which I also really enjoyed it's very fun and action-packed and sassy and and exciting I don't know it was a fun sequence and like usually car chases are kind of like eh it's a car chase but this one was actually fun there was a lot of layers to it everyone got a little role to play and uh and I enjoyed it yeah and I enjoy seeing Sam's defensive driving no yeah it was fun I like when Sam gets to be a competent operative Instead of just like a cheese ball. I mean, I like him being a cheese ball, but I also like it when they remind us like, Sam was a fucking Navy SEAL. He can hold his goddamn own. <laughs> then as they have this final showdown, Big Ed strips Hunter, the the guy who went off the rails of his cool motorcycle vest and gives it to Winston. <laughs> so now the murder green light is officially off and Winston's part of the family. And then I love Winston this scene is... <laughs> because... Every person talking is talking with, like, the most gravelly voice. It's like a gravelly (laughs) voice competition. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a lot. 
It is. It's it's very fun though. Uh, it reminded me of Sons of Anarchy, which I tried to watch over the break, but I just there's too much like. I I'm sure it gets better, but I find everything about it troublesome, and that's not the kind of guy that I'm really into. So no. like the one yeah. thing that most middle aged white women get out of Sons of Anarchy, I'm just not getting. Anyways, this was a very Sons of Anarchy-esque episode. I like episode. that you have embraced your middle age. <laughs> How dare you? I'm a young ingenue. You are the middle-aged old lady. Fuck you. Then there's an inexplicable scene where all of a sudden they're in a tattoo parlor and they're getting Winston a motorcycle gang tattoo, which I guess is like a permanent vest. So everyone knows not to mess with Winston. And I've always Winston's said that done. a tattoo is a permanent vest. <laughs> it's implied. Well, because in the last scene, they gave him a vest to show, like, he's one of us now. But then no, they yeah. have to give him a permanent vest. Exactly. I wish, though, that, like Sons of Anarchy, <laughs> they had actually tattooed a vest on him. Because in Sons of Anarchy, the, the Charlie Hunnam's character has the, like, ba- you know, they have, like, their motorcycle jackets with, like, their name and their little b- logo and stuff on it. Yeah. Like, bedazzling. He has that as a back tattoo. So it always oh looks like he's wearing- And so that's kind of what I was hoping for. If we were going to give him a permanent vest, let's give the man a permanent vest. But I guess yeah, exactly. a little too much. Anyways, he has a tattoo now, and he's living, and he's fine. So bye, Winston. Um, so finally, Michael heads back to Madeline's place to finally explain himself, and actually literally does explain, like, the entire Simon plot. Unfortunately, there is no mention of, like, the eight other operatives that were a part of this plot line, so nothing is resolved yet about what the fuck Carla was doing, which I'm still mad about. But, like, they comfort each other, and Madeline is like, thank you for telling me, and, like, it's this whole nice thing. And that was, that was a nice little little end of their thing. So Madeline's no longer overly concerned that her, her uh, son is, like, secretly a psycho. He's not secretly a psycho, but is a psycho for the good of the world. So she's like, cool, 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 go have fun with your friends. So Here's what I fu- think they decided to do, right? I think uh-huh. when they made this show, they had no idea what the conspiracy was going to be. Oh, yeah. That's then, obviously no, no. clear. This is, but like, <laughs> this is halfway no through season three, they decided what the conspiracy was going to be. And then having done that, they were like, oh, all this stuff that we did before is not consistent with this new idea that we've had. Oh, well. <laughs> we're going to kind of ignore that. Trisha Halper deserve better is all that I'm saying. I mean, um, yes. Every so, single woman who's ever appeared on this show deserved better. Other than Fee. I think Fee's getting hers. And I think Maddie is starting to get hers. Anyways. So final scene of the episode. Uh, we are about to meet our new boy. So at the counterintelligence security military office, uh, Michael gets that info on the drone bombed guy. And it's a pretty simple in and out. You know, he acts all casual gets into an office, downloads a bunch of files, and leaves. And everything goes fine, except it actually didn't go fine. Just because Michael got out clean doesn't mean that everyone got out clean. So some kind of internal alarm goes off, and they know that something has been stolen, and immediately they have to fight a fall guy. And the fall guy is the guy whose computer Michael downloaded all this shit from. And whose computer is it? But Jesse's. And so the man that we will soon come to learn is Jesse, is taken out of the building in handcuffs, and um, later in the episode, like the final scene of the episode, Sam reveals, like, that guy's not just getting blamed. He's burned. Michael Weston just got a spy 
unlawfully burned. Not unlawfully, but like incorrectly yeah. burned, just like he had been. And exactly. I didn't remember this. Love it. I didn't Love either. how they deal with it next episode. Like, I can't believe that I forgot the best possible plot line of Burn Notice. This is so right. good. This is what we've been waiting for. There's right. things, No, Chris. definitely. And I I don't know if you remember last season, I was like, I don't know about Jesse, because where does Jesse fit yeah, in? Yeah. Well, see, I, I, I was, said I remember I he had was trepidation. Fun, and you said, yeah, and you were like, I feel like he was just Michael. And he is, but in a way that I don't think either of us were remembering. Maybe exactly. eventually he becomes just like a boring member of the crew. But like his introduction, this is actually genuinely interesting. Like I was so stressed out all of episode two that we're going to talk about next week because I'm like, oh my God, when is he going to find out he's going to be so betrayed? And he seems like such a nice kid. And I'm I'm very excited. He does I think seem that, like a like, nice kid. The emotional thematic parallels are really interesting. Like the implications are interesting, especially when we've layered on the idea that like management might not be a hundred percent the bad guys. They're just but they're not still well. Like the sort of the, the they're more Machiavellian about the way in which they get to their end. And like now that Michael is a part of it and is like, no, I'm going to keep my morals above board. And then he immediately does the thing that they did to him in service of the greater good and now has to like deal with that fallout and try to like balance his own morality with like, you know, saving the world. It's a fucking cool conflict. I love it. It is a good conflict. I'm very excited. I'm excited about this season. I like. I am too. This is. This is, I'm so impressed. I'm genuinely impressed. So I'm very excited uh, about what's coming up. And I'm glad we didn't start yet another season of Bird Notice saying, oh no, have we already gotten to the best Bird Notice? <laughs> because I actually genuinely, and like, even without this this final reveal, I liked the plot of this. I, I liked this episode. I had a good time. It was a good season yeah. opener. I mean, I thought it was fine. Like, I... I mean, it's not a, it's no bad breaks. Listen. But no, like, no. But like, it as was a like season opener... Bird Notice. As a Matt Nix episode, it was a serviceable episode, and I had a good time. And I got to see some rough-and-tumble boys riding motorcycles, and I got to watch Fee beat people up who were much bigger than her, and I got to watch a woman go absolutely feral on Sam Max's ass. What's not to love? Yeah, it's fun as hell. So let's talk about spy tips. So I let's talk I about a spy bunch tips. of them, because like all of them were like, eh. And then I cut out half of them already, but we might end up cutting even more. So spy tips. Number one, name brands and decor can often tell you a lot about who you're dealing with. Official agencies operate with government budgets. You usually rule out the idea of federal involvement as soon as you see a pricey antique or a pair of $1,200 shoes. So this one I'm not sure about, but it, it is, I guess, useful to like remind yourself if you're like, you wake up in a random room and you're like, okay, shit, am I, which, whose side am I on? And if... It looks like a, you know, not well furnished, like, oh, okay, probably the government because bad guys have like more expensive. Yeah, I think I'm willing to be okay with this. I mean, if I cannot tell what a pricey antique looks like or I cannot tell how expensive shoes are. Yeah, those shoes did not look that expensive. But no, they did not. Like, I, it's an interesting and I wish it had been a little bit more specific, but you know, I could tell if it's a government office amount of money versus like a private firm amount of money tip number two most digital cameras aren't intended to take clear pictures of documents i don't think that's true anymore but fair enough 2010 burn notice a handheld scanner on the other hand will prevent any contrast or blurring problems yeah i i scan documents using my digital phone camera all the time but did you in 2010 i mean i did not in 2010 
And I think that in fairness, in deference to the technological disadvantages of 2010, I think we have to allow it. He also right. mentions blurring and contrast. Yeah, I get it. It makes sense. Number three, it's best to breach a building from two directions. That way your target has to choose to defend the front or the back. If you time it right, both answers will be wrong. <sighs> it seems kind of I obvious, like this episode. It does make sense, so. It does make sense. Like, even, I think especially, like, the inference here is if you don't have, like, a full team with you, like, you right. may have to spread yourself a little thin, but if you at least, like, alarm them from multiple sides, you can make up for the fact that you don't have an army with you with just the fact that they can't defend against both of you at once. Right. Uh, I'll take it. Because, like, if they had both come through the front door, they could have hunkered down behind the couch and, like, shot out at them. But because they came in pincer style, they were trapped. I'll, I'll take it. Number four, it doesn't matter how big someone is. There are certain points on the human body that are vulnerable. Pressure on the carotid artery will knock someone out in 10 seconds, no matter how big they are. And there's Have no, we talked about fr- this before? Uh, they, we've talked about the carotid artery before, but I don't remember in what context. There, there is the fir- the last bit of this tip, which I cut out because I've been trying not to read like the full, you know, pontifications was like it, it depending on how big your attacker is, those 10 seconds might feel longer on other people than on some people yeah. than, and, than others. Because um, he's Big Ed. It, this was Big Ed that this happened to. Yeah, it, this is Big Ed. I wish, so one thing that I wish this tip did was give us like at least one other pressure point. Like I was hoping instead of Sam ending up just having to punch a lady, uh, he would have like a similar pressure point situation where he found like a nerve in her back or something. So that while Michael was doing the carotid artery, Sam could show us like a secondary one so that he didn't have to punch a lady. Uh, but he did punch a lady. Yeah. So what do, what do you think? I, I don't remember the context of the previous carotid artery advice, but I guess if Michael West doesn't kill people, the only other possible use of the carotid artery in the show would have been Would have been this. to do this. So. Here's the thing I like this episode. We can't, Chris, we have to do this for science. We can't just give You're deference right. to this bad is, tips. I, there's definitely, we. I feel like we've done this before. Yeah. If there had been one other pressure point that they had pointed out, it would have been great and it would have made Sam not have to punch a lady. But unfortunately, that's it. Okay, so number four, most military bases have a civilian admin facility nearby. They're simple places, just office buildings filled with cubicles. So I thought that was this was useful because, like, if you have information that you need from a military base and you're like, shit, how am I going to break into a military base? It's useful information military. to know. That they, exactly, yeah. but it's useful information to know that there is always usually some kind of civilian building nearby that isn't necessarily on the base that might be a better way to get the info, or at least that get some. makes sense. I'll take it. Yeah. I thought, I wouldn't have thought of that. I wouldn't have known that. I would have gone, you know, in exactly. the circumstance where I, Brie Castellini, have to break into a military facility, I would have just broken into the military facility, and then I would have been like, shit, there was an admin building this whole time? You would have watched this episode of Burn Notice afterwards and felt like a fool. Exactly. Thank God we started a podcast. All right. Number five. This is, if this isn't a good tip, and I think it might not be. Sorry, Maddie. Uh, Number five. One of the problems with stealing information is that it's usually someone else's job to keep that information safe. It doesn't matter how clean your getaway is. There is always a chance that someone else will get blamed for what you did. So I hope none of you perverts... Like, clip out the bit of Bree saying, sorry, daddy. <laughs> I said Maddie. 
I thought you said daddy. No, I it'll probably he's pick big up daddy on my next. mic as Maddie. He is daddy. I should have said sorry, daddy. Um, daddy. Daddy, oh forgive God. me, daddy. Can I still have dessert? And some warm milk, daddy? Anyway, yeah, this isn't a tip. Yeah, it's not. Because the last tip is never a tip. Yeah, I mean, I was, my my argument was going to be something to the extent of, like, it's worth recognizing, like, the different outcomes of your actions even if you are fine someone else might not be because of these circumstances like in the case that you know you're you are stealing from a particular person whose whole job is for people to not steal from them and they're probably going to get in trouble if you do that even if you get out clean and you know if you're like a moral high groundist like michael weston that might be a problem but you're right this is meaningless of course that's what happens yeah here's a spy tip Actions have consequences. <laughs> Actions have an equal and opposite reaction. Uh, yeah, great. no. Well, unfortunately, that means that uh, as we get to the ratings section of this podcast episode, we do not have at least five practical spy tips, only four, and they were uh, shaky for that. Yeah. So, That's the thing, is that like, a lot of these choices were borderline, and it's entirely possible that, like, someone else would draw a different borderline. But yeah, but Chris, you and shaky. I are burnout assignments. However you do it, it's shaky. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, to maintain the integrity of our scientific endeavors here on Burn, Noticed, mm-hmm. we had to conclude that there were not at least five practical spy tips, not in good conscience. Uh, but was this episode leaning on spycraft over violence? Uh, I think so, because like the everybody else was trying to do violence against them and they went a different route. They, you know, did the bank account connection. They got Fiona yeah. to get them to do violence on each other <laughs> by beating up. I mean, guy that's the that's the burn notice move. Exactly. And so I, I think that they fulfilled it. I don't think that it was. No, I think know, it did, too. It felt spy-like. Next episode is very spy-like, which I am extremely excited to talk about. But yeah, this was definitely not more violence than Spycraft. So I, I think I'm I'm happy with it. Um, was there a memorable alias? No, sadly. No. Because Michael wasn't there at the beginning, so they didn't have a chance to like set him up with a little other thing. Also, I, I don't think it would have made sense because like most of the episode was Michael Weston just trying to get his bearings. And so if he had to pretend to be somebody else on top of that, I think it would have been one too many things. So for the episode's sake, it's good that there wasn't an alias, but for the rating of the episode's sake, unfortunately. So uh, the final consideration for right now, at least, uh, is were the side characters used well? I think Sam was and kind of a non-entity. Fiona had a good couple of scenes, though. Like, she, she got to taser a dude. She got to seduce a dude. She got to steal a motorcycle. She got to go on a motorcycle chase. Like, yeah, I this is definitely a good Fee episode. And she got to punch yeah, Michael I also, for whining about them taking a job, which is great. Yeah, no, that was the thing. Like, I feel like I want to give it to this episode just for the opening scene of them in the car. <laughs> And Michael's like, like that's a great a, scene, and like that. Like, and like happening? the thing is that the concept, the whole concept that like they took a job while he was gone is using the side characters. Yes, no, totally. Well, I mean, and we so, only yeah. need one of the two side characters for the to pass this. No, totally. One, unfortunately, because there's no alias or five practical spy tips, 
this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. It's a shame. Now, before we decide if it's a great episode of television, I want to introduce, at least for season four, because uh, as we know from Matt Nix, or not Matt Nix, <laughs> you know, our good friend Matt Nix, who we talk to all the time, as we know exactly. from Michael Horowitz, from the way that Jesse is used in season four, which now we understand because we've seen this episode, uh, is very different from his role in later seasons. So we probably won't have the same ranking system for Jesse in season four as we will for the rest of it. But my proposal for season four, Jesse, in terms of how to incorporate him into the rating system is asking the question, is Jesse interesting enough to be a main character? And that could change episode to episode, depending on how well he is used. But that is my proposal for how we deal with him this season. What are your thoughts? Right. I think that is a decent proposal. Um, I think it's entirely possible going forward in later seasons that could be um, changed to, is Jesse a distinct enough character? Yeah, I think so too. From Michael. Like, that that and that's um, kind of what this is this is only ever meant to be like a transitionary rule but no, i feel like since we know like, he's joining the main cast he deserves a little slot in the of the pie yeah obviously a we can't really talk pie. about that you know how pies have this slots. week yeah no obviously like, that's why I, I said that like i'm introducing it as a concept because it's the first episode of the season but definitely right. we can't use it as a like metric system for this particular episode no, of course. So, so do you do you tentatively I like it. agree? I like it as an idea. How does that change the um, ranking? Do the we? Math. They still need three points. Do they need four points? Well, so it kind of depends on if you want to go majority rules or supermajority rules. Because um, technically, three is still more than half. However, right. I think what we're going to have to do is say. It has to be three, but we can no longer count the are the side characters used well one as half counts as full. That's so like, I think that's solid, right? So like every so like if it's if it's three out of um, if it's three out of five and one of those five isn't the side characters, that's fine. However, if it's like this episode where only fee was really used well, that's not enough to count. Yeah, no, I think that's solid. Great. Well, that that went way smoother than I thought. So um, I I guess we then now have to decide. This is, once again, a Big Daddy Nick's episode that's not a great episode of Burn Notice. But is it a great episode of television? It's a solid season opener. It is. And, like, I do think that it's worth acknowledging that, like, a season opener has, like, much like a pilot, very different rules from just, yes. like, a regular mid-season episode. And you can't ignore that. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I... And, like, we agreed that all of the plot works. It does. And it was fun. You know, there wasn't anything particularly groundbreaking about it. There wasn't anything particularly inventive. But, like... It really, it was a really tight episode, which is the thing not, is that this actually, as you, it's funny you mentioned pilots because in a way, this kind of functions even more than a couple of other season finales as like a pilot, um, because it is negotiating like a a a fundamentally different position for management, and it is also b introducing a new character and That's character true. conflict, and it's. I, do, I think it might be practically the best Burn Notice season opener. Oh, it absolutely is. Like, bar so, we hated the pilot. We hated the yeah. season three opener. The season two opener, we said, 
was a great burn notice episode and a an episode of television. Um, I don't yeah. really remember it. Oh no, I do remember it. It's the one where he he was locked in the semi truck, and then he discovers that guy who had also been blackmailed by management. Oh they yeah, to, like, that was get eh. that guy. No, down. it was eh. yeah. No, this is absolutely they, yeah, the, bar none the best season opener. Exactly, and you know what? I'll give it. Let's give I it. Kind of want to give it too, especially given that like the the Jesse twist, which like is somewhat certainly colored by the fact that we were so sure that Jesse was going to be boring, or at least you were sure that Jesse was going to be boring. But the twist that that was going to be the thing that introduces him to us, it's such a good fucking idea for the show Burn Notice. Exactly. It, it kind of sets in. Yeah, I I'm we're gonna do it. For the very first time on Burn, Comma, Noticed, Matt Nix has gotten a great episode of television. And Good interestingly, job, Daddy. It's, the, it's an episode. This is his second episode that wasn't considered a great Burn Notice episode. But the first Matt Nix episode to become a great episode of television was not also a great episode of Burn Notice. And that might be the only time that your original hypothesis for this show has held up and i think it's the only person that that truly makes sense for you know what i mean oh um the hypothesis it's hard for him to be both yeah exactly and i think that it's only hard for it to be both when you're matt nix because matt nix clearly has such a clear thing that he's trying to do and things that he cares about um, like other, I think other writers, even if they're in it for burn notice are not ever going to be as like, you know, slaved to the structure as, you know, the man who birthed it. So I'm exactly. just saying, I, yeah. I'm going to be paying attention to other episodes of Matt Nix, where if we think that episodes are better when Matt Nix doesn't make it a burn notice episode, just curious. Yeah. We'll see if it happens again. Well, and here's the thing is like, this is a really good episode of Burn Notice, like as a show Burn Notice. Um, uh-huh. Based on a ranking system, it's not. But like, it's it doesn't feel not like a Burn Notice episode, like a couple from last season. Like last season, there was a lot of experiments with form where certain episodes yeah. didn't really feel like a Burn Notice episode. This one still right. definitely felt like a Burn Notice episode. But based on our original ranking system is not considered a great episode of Burn Although Notice. Although I do. So I just think that's like, interesting. I do think it it is a thing. While it does feel like a Burn Notice episode, I do think it does feel different. And, like, part of that is just, like, due to the fact that Michael comes to the case late. And, like, it's mm-hmm. sort of, like, the case is a little bit spare. Um, like, so that's, like, Michael didn't do an alias because he didn't super have an opportunity to do an alias. It did feel a little bit different to me. But, yeah, but but it yeah. felt different in the way that a, any good procedural does where they break it just a little bit to show you that they can, you know? Right. It's that break from form, like the fact that it subverted our expectations um, while still upholding some parts of it. It's like we came into a Burn Notice episode halfway over and like yeah. they had to deal with the fact that the Burn Notice episode was halfway over. I thought that was fun. No, it was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. So... There you have it, folks. This was not a great episode of Burn Notice, but it was a damn great episode of television. So congratulations I, to I, I, I will sure not concede that it was a damn great episode of television. <laughs> Fine. But, I will not um, concede that. Matt, we know you've been waiting for this. 
Congratulations, my friends. You've done it at last. You have, in season four, episode one, you have finally written a great episode of television with your show, Burn Notice. And uh, there's nothing left to say, but thanks again to Vincent E.L. for our wonderful theme music. You can find more of Vince's music at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, me and the motorcycle outside that's making a lot of noise would like to say bye. Bye. Bye.